So my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here and just want to say welcome, like we've said uh, several times. And, and we, like, we go big on Sundays, but we really go big on Easter, all right, because it's kind of fitting. And I'll get to that here in just a few minutes. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to go to um, uh, Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. There's probably a red one in front of you in the seat back or the passage of Scripture is in your little handout as well as on uh, the screen. As you're looking there, I encourage you, if this your your first time here or you've just been kind of coming with us for the last few Sundays, you're a guest and we're just so thankful you're here. I encourage you to do two things. Uh, go out in the atrium and get a, a little white donut. All right, I love those things. My boys love those white donuts. I think they've banned them from the table for the rest of the day. So they've had quite a few, my two youngest, not my two oldest. All right, and so go and grab a few white donuts. I know, all right, we love those and that's a gift to us as well as, all right, that's kind of, thanks for laughing. All right, as well as encourage you to pick up a little bitty book just called uh, The Real Easter and just kind of helps you learn more about why we celebrate and why we go big on Easter Sunday. It's over there uh, in the atrium at our new Welcome Center, which I'm pretty stoked about also. So for you guys that are new, like our regular tenors are rolling in here today going, oh my, this is nice. So, uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun stuff. So yeah, uh, Luke chapter 24, and we normally stand for the reading of God's word. So if you're able to do that, I encourage you to do that, please. Luke chapter 24, and we're looking at the, the first 12 verses of this chapter. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they had entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering, or another way you can translate that is like perplexed, puzzled about this, suddenly two men clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. So when they came back from the tomb, they, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering. Another translation of this would be marveling to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, today is a beautiful day. Today is a wonderful day. And Lord, the reality is, is a lot of us come in here with all kinds of emotions. Some come here ready to go, celebrating. They're marveling at the resurrection. They're full of joy. They're in it, you know. Others come here this morning and they feel like, man, I should be in it, but I'm just not. And others of us that are here just kind of like, all right, what, what, what's going on? What, what is this all about? God, my, my prayer for us is that wherever we find ourselves, Lord, we, we, we display kind of an honesty with ourselves and an honesty before you because, God, you are a good, loving, 
kind Heavenly Father that's not sticking his arms out and kind of like sending people away, but it's more like the picture we see in Luke chapter 15 where the, the Father's arms are open, welcoming home his precious Son. God, do that in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So about a year ago, I was uh, watching an interview. I think I shared this with you guys before with um, Bono. I called him Bono in the first service. So somebody came and corrected me. So I thank God for Pastor Josh Wilson. Love him. Uh, obviously the lead singer of U2 and one of my favorite bands. Um, but he was having an interview with uh, Eugene Peterson, which is a longtime pastor. And they were just talking about their love for the Psalms. And in the midst of this interview, I encourage you to go and you can Google it and find this. It's a really intriguing interview. But in the midst of this interview, uh, Bono said that one of the reasons why he's so suspicious of Christians is because of a lack of honesty. That they're just a lack of honesty amongst Christians that then kind of spurs on a lot of suspicion. And he goes on to say, like, you know, where are the songs that Christian artists are writing about bad marriages? Where are the songs that Christians are writing about depression, about struggle, about temptation, about hardship? And, and the irony of that is this, is that when you, when you come to the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, it doesn't read like a Hallmark card, does it? It's really raw. And there's a whole lot of like places in the Bible that if you're just kind of being real, you're going, I don't think I would have kept that in there, right? Like I would have punted on that chapter. I mean, just go read the book of Genesis. There's a lot of chapters in there, especially the one about Tamar. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I would keep that one in. It's just so like confusing. But that's the Bible for us. There's a rawness. There's an honesty to it. And one of the things that was so striking to me when I read the first 12 verses here, chapter 24, is its honesty. Like if you're trying to make this story up, you don't do this. You don't record this. You have a whole different game plan if you're trying to make the story up. But Luke is not trying to make the story up. He's an historian and he's trying to tell us what really happened here. So this is what I want to do this morning real quickly here. There's a couple of thoughts that I want to kind of bring from this chapter here. And here are the couple of thoughts. The first one is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has always been hard to believe. It's not a modern problem. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has been always, always difficult to believe. And at the same time, and here's kind of the second movement in this passage of Scripture, you want it to be true. I don't care where you're at when it comes to spirituality. If you're a Christian or not a Christian or atheist, agnostic, wherever you find yourself landing this morning, I don't really care because the reality is this. You have a human desire. You have a human longing that the resurrection to be true. You want it to be true. And so let's first of all kind of take a look at this first movement here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has always, it's always been hard to believe. I mean, look, I love the honesty that's in this passage. Look what happens here. In verse 1, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they had entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering, while they were puzzled, while they were perplexed, 
So here's the question. Why in the world did these ladies get up at the crack of dawn, as we would call it? Why? Why are they getting up so early? Are they getting up so early because they, they had this hint of belief that maybe the tomb is empty. So we're going to get up really early, run to the tomb, and show these boneheaded disciples and all their stupid unbelief, all negativity. No, man, we're going there because there's a a hint of hope that we're going to peer in there and the body's going to be gone. No. No, they got up early in the morning because they wanted to go and do something that they couldn't finish on Friday because of the Sabbath. They had prepared spices and ointment and oils and all this kind of stuff in order to give the dead body of Jesus a proper burial. That's why they got up at the crack of dawn. There was no maybe, there was no if in their minds when they're rolling in to this tomb. There was no chance of them thinking that Jesus would be alive, just like we do, right? Anytime you go to a graveside and you visit a mom or or, 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 or a grandfather or a cousin or a son or a daughter, you don't give a hint of ounce of belief that possibly you're going to roll up on the graveside and your dad's going to be sitting on top of his, you know, great, whatever that thing is called, and say, what is up? Right? See, like, that's not going to happen. You never think about that. Same here. What did these women expect to find? They expected to find the dead body of Jesus. That's why they brought these spices and oils, because they were going to give her a proper burial. What about the disciples, right? What was their response? I mean, did did we see them going, ah, I knew it, right? As soon as the ladies come in, there's Peter or somebody jumping up. I knew it. I knew it. You bunch of doubters. I was there the whole time. I knew it. No, what what happened here? Look at verse 9. When they came back from the tomb... They told all these things to 11 and to all the others. There's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of the Mary of James. And the reason why those names are there is so that, because this was written about 20, 25 years after all these events. And so when people are reading this, they can go find Mary and Joanna and say, hey, did this really happen? Luke is an historian. He's got facts here, people that actually are eyewitnesses. And the others with him who told him to this to the apostles. And look what he says in verse 11. But, if they did, but they did not believe the women. Because why? Because their words seemed like nonsense. I mean, I don't know about you, but if there's any group on the planet Earth at this time that you would think would have a hint of a possible, maybe Jesus is coming back to life, it would be the disciples, Right? I mean, they, they spent three and a half years with this man, and they witnessed some crazy stuff. I mean, this is not like any normal apprenticeship, for crying out loud, right? I mean, they watched a dead man, Lazarus, come out of the grave, wrapped up in all the linen garments and all that kind of stuff. I mean, goodness gracious, if I'm seeing that, I'm peeing in my pants at that moment, Right? I mean, they, they, they saw, like, blind men being able to see, people that couldn't speak, now they can speak, the deaf became able to hear, lame people that couldn't walk since birth. This, this woman that, that was bleeding, she touches his robe, healed instantly. There was a funeral going on with a little girl, and Jesus kind of lays a hand, boom, she raises from the dead. Gosh, if there's any group of people that you think, okay, maybe, that would have a hint of belief, you would think it would be the disciples. I mean, even... I mean, Jesus tries to give them a heads up, doesn't he? Over and over, he's telling them. 
I mean, just a few weeks before all these happened in Luke chapter 18, look, look at this. It's like, did they fall asleep, right? Did something distract them? Squirrel, right? And say, like, what's, what's going on here? Let me look. Thank you for laughing. I love that. It's one of my favorite movies up. I love it. Um, verse 31, look what he says here in chapter 18. And Jesus took the 12 aside and, and told them, his just followers, right? We're, we're going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So in case you forgot, let me tell you. Verse 32, he, talking about himself, will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And then on the third day, he will rise again. They missed that, right? They're like, did you fall asleep? Were you picking your nose? Like, what's going on here? I mean, how, how much more clear could he be? And then the, the ladies come and say, hey, the dead body is not in the tomb. And then the disciple says, look, that's nonsense. That word there that, that Luke chooses to use is a medical term, which is kind of cool because he's a doctor. And that word means this. It's the best way I can kind of like get it more modernized for us. If you've ever had your wisdom teeth pulled and, you know, the anesthesia begins to wear off and everybody gets their phones out, you know what I'm saying? Because they want to hear what you say because you usually say stupid things and, you know, loony things. That's exactly that word. It's craziness. Loony. Now, what am I trying to say here? What's my point? My point is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has always, it's always been hard to believe. It's always been difficult to believe. This is not a modern problem. There was no one at the tomb that day going, five, four, three, two, one. I knew it, right? No one. And if you would read through the entire chapter of 24 there and encourage you to come back, well, finish it out next week. The thing that you see in that chapter is there's a massive surprise. And that massive surprise for everybody is that Jesus is alive. No one, no one was expecting this. Now, how is this helpful? Well, there's a lot of us in this room who come and, you know, like faith and belief and trust, it just kind of comes easy. There's a there's a childlikeness of your faith that's just so kind of refreshing for a lot of us in this room. And, and we thank God for you. There are times we want to punch you, but we do thank God for you for the most part, right? We need you in our community that have this childlike faith. But there's a lot of us in this room that really struggle and doubts haunt us. And we go through seasons where we're going, is this for real? Did this really happen? And I pray on this Easter Sunday morning that you're encouraged because you're in good company. You're in good company. It's always been hard to believe. And I pray as you continue to struggle and work through this and dive into stepping into belief that God would, would deepen your understanding of what the resurrection of Jesus Christ really means. But for others of us in this room, like, like, you don't even have a category for this, right? Or your category is like, no, this, this can't happen. Like, you kind of have a, a mindset of the world where it's just closed off. Miracles like this just don't happen. And scientifically, you just can't prove that this really was the real deal. And so my encouragement for you is this. Don't do what C.S. Lewis calls chronolo chronological snobbery, right? And what he means by that is just simply where we will look on past generations and go, man, they were dumb, 
They were gullible. They just believed everything. But we've evolved, right? We're so much more intelligent, right? Yes, yes. In some ways, yeah, they didn't know anything about antibiotics. Yes, I get that. Yeah, they probably didn't know all the technological advancements that we, we have in our day. But listen to me. These people, their IQs weren't like in the 50s, right? Now, how do I know that? Well, go to Acts chapter 17. Here's an intelligent man named Paul who's preaching to the philosophers in Athens. And he's just working through the story of Jesus. And everybody's there. It's like, they're on board with him. Like, they might have thrown in a little amen every once in a while. Say, yeah, preach it, Paul. I'm on board. But as soon, as soon as he said, Jesus rose from the dead, it shut down. He said, you're a lunatic. You're a crazy man. That doesn't happen. Why? Why? Because it's always been hard to believe. A dead man does not come back to life. So here's, I'm kind of bridging the second movement here, because usually what happens here is everybody wants to kind of bring out all the physical evidence of the reality of the resurrection. I can do that, but I, I, I want to go in a different angle, because you know, to some extent, that's what the angels do a little bit, right? When the angels are trying to help their perplexedness and puzzledness, they didn't go like to the physical evidence that was right before them, right? The linen clothes, like if the, if the body had been stolen, they would have got the linen clothes. Like you get that, that's, that's, that's worth some, some bank, right? So they were still there. Hello, the body's not here, right? And we're angels. Like you should be freaking out right now. They kind of were, right? So, but they didn't go to the physical evidence thing. And that's not what I want to do. I want to go for your longings, your desires. Yes, it's always been hard to believe, but I'm here to tell you, you want the resurrection to be true. I mean, what happens to you instinctively, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, when you come to a funeral of someone you dearly love, there is something instinctively in you that you want this relationship to last. You don't want death to end that. And you will even articulate that. You'll even say that without any ground of hope in that. But you'll say, man, someday we'll be able to continue this relationship on. Man, what's instinctive in us? We want to live forever. I mean, I think that's kind of what's behind all this, you know, fitness craze going on. Whole 30, CrossFit, jump up and down, whatever you want to do here. And I'm not against any of that stuff. I run, I do, I exercise. But I think at the heart of that, we want to be young and we want to live forever. What is that? It's built into our DNA. It's, it's a longing that spans all of humanity. It's a universal longing, I would argue. There's some of you in this room that, that has kind of, a, kind of a dead-end job to some extent, that the circumstances of your life has just got you in this situation where this is what you got to do to make a living. But there are all these gifts and desires and longings where you want to fulfill more. And, and deep down inside, you're going, man, is there a time where that could be true to where these desires and gifts that I believe God's given me, that they can find fulfillment? That's deep inside of every single one of us. And the main reason why that's the case is because you're created in the image of God and the stamp of eternality is on your DNA. You want the resurrection to be true. And yeah, again, those are all, I'm all for all that, right? But I, I would say there's a greater reason why you want it to be true. 
And it's found in this little verse here. Look at verse, verse 12. So ladies come in, tell the news. The disciples say, you've been drinking too much wine or smoking something, right, basically. But look what Peter does. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering, marveling to himself what had happened. Why Peter? Or better yet, why why would Peter want the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true. You know, if you're familiar with Peter, you know he's like type A, you know what I'm saying? He's kind of those people that drive me crazy, if I'm just being real honest with you. The achiever, you know, they're always the first in line, you know what I'm saying? Always the first to speak. Or that dude in the community group that every question's answered by them. It's like, dude, shut up for just a second. Let someone else in the group talk. Oh no, I gotta be in there, right? And that... It's Peter, you know, and sometimes you can make, well, that's, that's, just, that's just him. Well, I, I would say there's something else going on in Peter to where he's the one that gets up and runs the tomb. And Luke tells us this a couple chapters before this in chapter 22. Look what he, what he records in verse 59. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he, talking about Peter, is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned, talking about Jesus, and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So what do, you, what do you think is going on in Peter's interior world as he's sitting in that room with 10 other guys? What do you think's happening in him? Well, let me ask it a different way. What do you do when you've been caught in sin? What do you do? What happens in your interior world when you have violated your conscience. Well, I'll tell you what happens in me. Guilt comes. You feel awful. You feel awful about what you've done. It's almost like, a, like an elephant comes in the room and decides to kind of rest his entire being on your shoulders, right? And shortly after guilt comes, then there comes shame. And shame's different than guilt because then you start feeling awful about yourself. I'm bad. I'm a failure. I'm awful. And look, I, I don't know about you, but, but then you start trying to figure out how you're gonna manage shame and guilt, right? You gotta do something with it. Like it, it'll, it'll eat you alive. That's why some of us in this room, you know, binge watch Netflix, Right? Sit for two days and watch The Walking Dead. Because I got to do something with my guilt and shame. So some of us are addicts in here. Alcohol, shopping, food, pornography, whatever it is. You're trying to manage your shame and your guilt. 
That's why some of us in here work 80, 90, 100 hours a week. You're trying to manage your shame and guilt. That's why some of you in this room chose to have an affair. I read a, um, a biography about Chris Farley back at the beginning of the year. His brother uh, wrote this biography, and it's, he's one of my favorite comedians. He's absolutely hilarious when he was healthy. Um, can't get over the motivational speaker thing. <laughs> but it's a very sad biography. His last four days on the earth was in a drunken cocaine heroin, craziness. And on his last day on the earth, he passed out in his hotel, just passed out on the floor. And the girl that had been his escort for those four days just left him. Left him. What, what drives a man to that? I would say, look, something under there it's guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. But look at me, guys. Look, this is why we, we celebrate Easter. There's a better way. There's a better way. And that's what the angels are getting after there in verse 7. Look what, he, look, look what they said there. The Son of Man. It's a title that's referring to Jesus Christ. Must. Another way you can translate that is it's necessary. Must be delivered into the hands of sinful man. Be crucified on the third day raised again. Like why? Why is it necessary that Jesus had to die? Why was it necessary? Why was it a must? Well, here's why it is. Because I don't need an example. I don't need Jesus giving me all these wonderful teachings to follow. I need someone that will take my place. I need a substitute. The only way that I can deal with my guilt in a way that's healthy, that's going to help me move forward, is when someone takes my guilt for me. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He exhausted the guilt that you feel for your sin, all of it empty. And if you're in Christ, your heavenly Father declares over you, you are innocent. That's what you need to hear. That's what you need to feel. No matter what you did this week or this morning, whatever you're even planning to do, if you're in Christ, listen to me, you're not guilty because Jesus took your guilt. I don't need a pattern. I don't need someone to follow. I don't need an example. I need a substitute. I need someone to take my place. How do you deal with shame? It's the same way. The only way your shame is relieved is when someone takes your shame upon himself. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He hung there naked. He took your shame, my shame. And then when we receive Christ, listen to me, it's beautiful. The heavenly father speaks, declares this over you. You are enough. You are holy. You are good. You are loved. And that's the only way shame is dealt with. Look, I'm just telling you right now, I can walk around here and, and tell you you're enough and, and you could try to drum up enough positive thinking to where you could sort of convince yourself you're enough. But here's the reality. You know your soul. You know all the junk that's going on in your interior world. I could come around here and say you're enough, but I don't know you. 
But hear me, your heavenly Father knows you to your core. And if you're in Christ, listen to me, the words that he spoke to Jesus at his baptism are the words that he speaks to you. And I wanna read those to you. Matthew 3 says this, and a voice from heaven said this, this is my son whom I love. He hadn't done anything yet. He had performed one miracle, nothing. Whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Put your name in there. If you're in Christ, this is my son, Jeff. This is my daughter, Brittany. This is my son, Michael. This is my daughter, Kay. Put your name in there. And he's seeing this over you, whom I loved. Oh my goodness, the father just jumps for joy when he sees you on the stage, right? Just, it just gets you up in the morning and there's love pouring down on you. And he is well pleased with you. Look, 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 look. The reason why Peter doesn't just stay in the room, right? When you feel your need for the resurrected Jesus, listen to me, you don't stay in the room and say, ah, you guys are morons. Bunch of ladies, they don't have a clue what they're talking about, you know. You don't just sit in there and discuss. You don't, you don't walk to the tomb. No, when you feel your need for the resurrected Jesus like Peter did, you run. You run. Because he's the only one that can deal with your guilt and shame. He's the only one that can deal with my guilt and my shame. You know, when we share these little testimonies, I wish we had like 20 minutes, honestly, you know what I'm saying? But we got about four or five, right? And so, I, you know, I've had the joy of sitting down and hearing Becca's testimony in its fullest. And there's just a couple things, even in the four minutes there, I don't know if you caught these, but this is like the fourth time I've heard this testimony, so I catch a lot of things, so I love it. But look, look, if you remember in that testimony, it says, look, I, I tried to live by the cultural mandate of being true to myself. And I was miserable. Why is that? Because there's only one person that can fully deal with your guilt and shame. And that's the resurrected Jesus. So I have one question for you, and I'm done. Do you believe this? I, I, yeah, okay. I get it's hard. I get it. So did they. And so all I'm asking this morning is like, okay, I'm not asking you to make a, a giant leap from unbelief to belief. Maybe I'm just saying make a, a small step. And maybe a small step for you is just simply this. Go home today and and ask yourself, what am I doing to deal with my guilt and shame? What am I doing to manage that? And how's it working? If you don't know, ask your spouse or ask a close friend. If that's not for you, then I just encourage you to go home and read the Gospel of Luke. Man, I love, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It gives us a story about Jesus. Just, just start reading. And see if your heart is not drawn to this man. Or another thing you can do, a small step, is just come back next week, right? 
Nothing's going to happen when you walk in here. Oh, God's going to strike me dead if I come back again. No, it's just, just he, like, he's good. He's all right. Come back. But maybe today you're kind of experiencing what Rebecca mentioned in her, in her story. And you've come to the end of yourself. You're kind of done trying to manage your own guilt and shame. Look, don't overthink this and don't over-spiritualize it. Just cry out to Jesus. Say, I'm done. I'm done. I need you. I need you. If you're a Christian here, I'd ask the same question. Do you believe this? And my encouragement to you this morning is if, if you do believe it, then, then celebrate, Right? We're always thinking good party. Sometimes we have a a tendency to kind of make Christmas the big holiday for Christians. And, you know, yeah, I'm not saying that we don't. I love Christmas, but I'm I'm just saying this. We don't have Easter. We don't have Christmas, right? And so if there's a day that needs to trump Easter, I mean Christmas, it's Easter. Now, granted, we don't have to go get gifts because then we'd all be broke for crying out loud. But I'm just saying, hey, like if we're Christians, then let's have a celebration. This is a big day. So today, we're having two desserts in my house, amen? I don't give a rip what we're eating for the meal. We're having two desserts. And whatever we're having for dessert is going to make whatever kind of meal be amazing, right? So we went down to the American Cookie Company yesterday and got us a big old cookie cake. One of those little chocolate chip deals. We try to bake those things on our own, but it never works out. They always turn out to be like hockey pucks, right? And I know they're not good for you, but I don't give a rip. I don't. It's got a live on there, Right? We're making an apple pie. I love me some apple pie. And I'm going to go get some vanilla ice cream. And I'm not getting Walmart brand or private selection. All right? I'm getting the stuff that costs about $20. And I don't give a rip, right? Because he's alive. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the greatest day. Step in. Celebrate. Throw a big party. Let's pray.